Hey everyone, Corey Whalen, Managing Director of Bridgemark Strategies. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast today. Wanted to have my friend Nick Nielsen on the line today. He just celebrated his fifth year on the independent side. And while going through the due diligence process with him, I've never seen a financial advisor take a plan and truly implement it as good as he did in terms of how he was going to grow on the independent side um, at his fifth year mark. So um, incredibly impressed. And Nick, I really appreciate you being on the on the podcast today. Hey, Corey, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, hopefully some of your listeners out there can take a few of the things that I did, apply it to their own practices. And when they make that tr transition to independence, which virtually everyone will ultimately do, um, they do it better than I did. That's great. I, I really appreciate it. Nick, if you don't mind, just, just tell the audience a, a, a little about yourself. Sure. 5'11", 215 svelte pounds. Uh, originally grew up in Southern Indiana. I'm a Hoosier at heart. I love uh, small town country vibes. So clearly that led me to Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not real rational, but I'm a country kid at heart. Uh, moved out to, to Lancaster, South Carolina a couple years ago. My wife and I have been fortunate enough. We adopted three awesome kiddos from South Korea. So that's a very important part of our life, but uh, love financial planning. Once I got out of college, I knew that I wanted to be a financial planner. I took a really long and unusual path to get to where I am today. But with my business partner, Jeff Walters, we founded uh, Know My Plan a little over five years ago now. Awesome. So number one, I didn't know that you can use quarter inches. So now I'm five, seven and, and three quarters. So exactly. Exactly. So All, don't short yourself. <laughs> If you if you don't mind, just kind of tell the the audience kind of you know what your what your journey has been, just from like one firm to another. Yeah, so I mean, I, I started out as a bank teller um, at at Fifth Third Bank right out of college. It was literally the only job I could get in financial services. All of the other you know main places that hire everybody with a pulse told me no. Uh, I didn't understand why they needed me to call two hundred of my friends and family. I I thought they had the big buildings and trillions of dollars. I thought they would have people for me to call, but that that's not exactly the way the world works. Um, so I started as a, as, as a bank teller and got into bank management, uh, became a licensed banker. I was a licensed banker for eight years. Really, that was the greatest blessing that ever happened to me in my career. I had a bank, ba bank branch manager named Janice who absolutely poured into me. She reviewed every client conversation that I had. She wasn't really in a client facing role. But she poured into me and um, wanted to make sure that I was having great holistic conversations that would ultimately get me to a position where I could be uh, a financial advisor. And so after eight years as a licensed banker, became a financial advisor at uh, PNC Bank when PNC acquired the Royal Bank of Canada. That's what brought me to the Carolinas. I was there for about 18 months, had an amazing opportunity with SunTrust to join uh, SunTrust um, in, in 2014, was there for three and a half years and uh, just reached a point where independence was really the only viable option for the future. Right. So I, I mentioned this before, Nick, but we we, we just celebrated your your fifth anniversary uh, a couple a couple months ago, you know, together. Just 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 looking back over the last five years. It's it's my job to help financial advisors kind of understand some of the benefits when you're making a move from an employee firm 
to an independent firm, but I, I'm just curious from, from your experience, what have been some of the favorite things making the move from one channel to another? Yeah, by far the best part of it is being able to create your own content. Like that was one of the things that was the big why there were some other reasons, but the big reason was we wanted to be able to control how we marketed um, being inside of a bank channel, you are there to help the bank branches um, meet their goals and ultimately help people in that process. And, and some of those people weren't ideal fits for how we wanted to grow a business. And going independent allowed us to market to the people that we wanted to market to, but also it ensured that we could take control of those relationships long term. And I say that um, to mean that we would never be in a situation where a client would become so big that we would have to hand them off to a wealth management or a trust department. Um, a client would never be so small that we would have to transition them to an 800 number. So whether someone had $10,000 or $10 million, they would be our client. So we get to choose whether we love the families that we work with. And if we do, we really don't care how much money that they have. If we're committing to that client that we're going to be their financial planners, we want to honor that commitment for as long as they'll allow us to be their guide. So can you talk about like what your what your niche is a little bit? Because I think that that um, really relates, especially to you, like having some of those minimum restrictions, how you've just been able to take full advantage of, of your niche now. Yeah, so I had an old manager who said that if you do the job well, eventually your client base will start to look like you. And I think that's very true. And I think we learned or I learned early on in the process when we began marketing that it attracted a certain type of person. So the niche kind of found us. But essentially, we work with sales executives who are 35 to 50 years old. And if I close my eyes, I can see them. It's a 38 and a 40-year-old couple. And they generally have two to three kids, a golden doodle, and most of them have a Honda Odyssey. Minivans are very popular um, in, our, in our client base. So it's, it's generally households who have um, annual income above 250000 And we love that 35 to 50-year-old client because we're going through a lot of the same life events together. We're kind of doing life together. That's great. And, and and I can just see how, you know, there's people that are they're, they're getting hockey stick trajectory inside of their 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 income and their career. And maybe they just don't have the money yet. And that could have been restricting. Yeah. And the bank, we would refer those people as Henry's, right? High earners, not rich yet. And I remember, you know, there were times where, you know, I would have to go to my manager and say, hey, I really want to work with this family. And they would say, well, they only have, you know, $60,000 in an investment account. So, yeah, but their household income is $600,000. And this is the client that I want to work with for the next 30 years. And they're great people. And we have similar values and our families look alike. And these are people that I want to grow with. And I'm like, Sorry, it's going to go to the 800 number. Yeah. So we wanted, to control, we wanted to control the people that we work with. And we want to invest in those people together over the next 30 years and build real lasting, meaningful relationships. So I, I speak with financial advisors all the time, Nick, and they, when they're considering making a move from an employee channel, you know, has big brand 
Um, they're just concerned. How am I going to recreate myself and continue to grow on the independent side? And I talked about it in the, in the intro of the podcast, but I just think you've done such a good job of letting your value proposition just shine through to, you know, your community from a marketing standpoint. Can you just kind of talk about that and like in the impact it's had on your business? Yeah. So I would say the first thing is you're going to have to have a little bit of thick skin because some people are clients of the big brand and that's okay. You know, some of the people who we thought were our A clients who would follow us anywhere told us no. And they're like, you know, Hey Nick, Hey Jeff, I'm sorry, but at the end of the day, I'm going to stay at this bank forever, regardless of who the financial advisor is. So step one, you got to have some thick skin. Step two, there is an endless opportunity of people who exist, who want advice and guidance, who may or may not know that they want advice and guidance, but they exist. And there's more money flowing through to people than we've ever seen in the United States before. If you're willing to speak to a individual niche or a group of people, the opportunity is, is infinite. You can never serve all of the people who could truly benefit from your guidance um, during your lifetime. So I think it's just having an abundance mindset versus a, a scarcity mindset. And if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing as a financial planner, wherever you're doing it, the the majority of the people will make that transition with you. That's great. And I mean, I've, I've, I've seen it, us both being in, in, in the Charlotte area, I've just seen what an impact your marketing has done, not only with your current clients, but with prospective clients, but also just some of the centers of influence out there as well that wouldn't have really known how Nick Nielsen is different or how he works with his clients. And I, I, I could just imagine your your referrals have gone through the roof. Yeah, certainly with COIs um, that has helped, but in inside of a you know employee model, it's really hard to get your message out there at scale of how you work with people. You're, you're going to be doing a lot of CPA luncheons to explain your process and how you work with people, as opposed to you know making posts on LinkedIn or other social media platforms explaining your process. And now all of a sudden thousands of people are seeing your process on a daily basis and you keep showing up. And that's the beauty of the social media platform is you keep showing up and people get to learn about you a little bit every day through some sort of micro app action or micro nugget. And you're not out there doing all of the um, COI events and things of that nature. But, you know, we had people that we had known, whether they're CPAs or estate planning attorneys that never referred to us ever before who started referring to us once we were independent. Yeah. I said, well, we're, you know, we're more comfortable referring to an independent advisor versus being, you know, someone, you know, attached to an institution. That was one of the feedback, you know, that we got. And then I think clients, clients have become more comfortable, you know, in referring to us as well, being independent, knowing that we're not tied to any institution and, you know, we can set, we can tell people like, you know, Hey, this might be a credit card to consider. This might, these might be a couple places to consider for a mortgage. And lo and behold, it's not the same name that would have been attached to insert big brand institution. 
One more specific thing I'll just add about the marketing and, and the communication. I mentioned this in another podcast, but I'm an investor myself. And when the market was super volatile a couple months ago, I mean, I was having a stressful day just thinking about it. And I know a lot of financial advisors and I get a lot of newsletters, some from an employee firm, some from independent firms. And I got one from a big box firm and it was the CIO giving a capital markets update. And I kind of just looked right past it. I, I didn't know that person. It probably had a lot of great information in there to make me feel at ease, but I didn't, I just went right past it. And then I talked about someone's newsletter that I know and trust and when I read their newsletter, it was in their words. And as I was reading it, I was he hearing it in their voice as someone that I know and trust just saying, this is why you have a financial plan. You know, this is why, this is why things are going to be okay. And I, 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 I feel your, your stress right now. And it just made me feel so much better than any unknown person at the top of a research department could ever make me feel. So I, I just thought it was super powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, those people who are CIOs um, technically, you know, know a whole lot more about how the markets work and can give you um, a, a much deeper breadth of economic perspective, probably than, than your average financial planner. But I think, you know, financial planners throughout the industry, they really underestimate the power of using, you know, your own words, because, I love to create my own content because I want people to kind of fall in love with me and my thought process. And I want our clients to think like, yeah, I believe in that. I understand that. That makes sense to me. I don't want somebody else. I don't want to use somebody else's words because I don't want somebody to fall in love with the CIO. And then they come in and they meet with me and there's a disconnect because that's not how I speak. That's not my cadence. Um, that's not exactly my investment beliefs. So, you know, part of the whole process is you're going to alienate some people. You're going to make some people mad and there's going to be people who don't want to do business with you. But if you're not repelling people, you're probably also not attracting people. And the only way that you're going to find that out is you have to put your viewpoints, you have to put your process and how you help people out in the world. And by and large, what I have found is that when the time is right, people will self-select and they'll send you a message and say, hey, Nick, I think that's really interesting. I liked your thoughts on this. I'd love to meet with you. And before you know it, more clients come in the door and you're growing your business and you don't need the big institution to you know, send you referrals or have uh, potential clients to call upon. So most, most financial advisors that I speak with, there was like a very specific moment where kind of a light bulb goes off and they realized that they need to make a change. You know, was there anything specific like that for you that made you to say, I need to start looking? Or was it more gradual? Yeah, I think I think it was gradual. I think it was really, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts. There was a, a, a substantial amount of leadership change within a couple of years. It's kind of like who was at the top, um, who was at the top of the bank. And all of them had kind of a different regime change that came in. So it was always kind of like a constant flux. And then 
there were several scenarios where we did more revenue, but made less money. And no financial advisor wants to, you know, have revenue go up and income go down. Um, so it was just kind of the slicing away at the grid, having to do the same to make the same money. And, you know, really, you know, my business partner, Jeff, credit to him, he was really the one who became frustrated quicker than I was. And it was pretty much, it reached the point where I was either going to have to break up with him or we were going to have to go somewhere else. And that's really what led to us doing our due diligence and, you know, meeting with all of the firms that existed on earth. And, you know, thank goodness we met you in the process. So there's obviously a lot of misconceptions out there in the industry about making a move from one firm to another. I try to tell advisors this, this all the time. There's people that have a heavy vested interest in keeping you in the current seat that you're at that sometimes give misconceptions out there. And then there's also all different types of firms out there that are also heavily invested in, in you coming to their specific firm. So um, was there anything that you heard out there? Oh yeah. 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 There's one, there's one. And I can, I can still remember the exact statistic. Um, and this one stressed me out beyond all belief. And um, you know, there's a really good recruiters out there. One was a young lady who I developed a good relationship with, and she'd probably called on me for two years. And she always quoted the statistic is that, you know, bank advisors should never go bank to independent. They should go bank to bank or bank to wire because when bank advisors leave to go independent, the stat that they always quoted was 29%. That's the percentage of the assets that will actually transfer over. And, you know, when Jeff and I were doing our calculus, we're like, you know, can we make this work? If 29% of our clients come with us, like, what does that look like? Yeah. If, if, you know, 29% comes with us, I mean, that's, that's, that, that's, that's pretty drastic. So we did the math. We thought we could make it work. We were confident that, you know, we would at least hit that number. And, um, but yeah, it's, it scared us to death. They referred us, you know, kind of within hierarchies of their organization and spoke to the president and CEO of that group and said like, yeah, no one does better than 29%. That's your, that's your max. That's as good as it gets you know, a better option would be to transition to this other bank. And, um, you know, we met with some local independent advisors and, you know, talked about their net payouts and stuff like that. Like, all right, we can make 29% work. You know, lo and behold, we took, you know, roughly around 70% of assets with us. And I will tell you that of all of the people that we know who have made that transition from bank to independent after us is that all of them did better than that nobody that i've ever seen go banked independent took less than 70 percent of their clients with them maybe i just run in really good circles but i i would imagine that the average um, advisor in a bank program that leaves to go independent is going to be able to take you know around 70 percent of their assets and clients with them what did you what did you tell your clients when, when you transitioned, like, I, I think a lot of financial advisors, when I'm helping them through the process, like they just don't, they just can't picture how that conversation went. Like what, what did you tell them? Yeah. And obviously we, we would have done some things different, you know, today versus how we, how we did it then we probably made it a little bit too complicated for our clients. 
um, to understand. And maybe that was just with our own lack of understanding of going from bank to independence. But, you know, the, the main thing was just hitting on the fact is that we wanted to own the relationship with them in perpetuity. We never wanted to be in that situation that we felt was very likely in the bank that we would have to hand you off at some point to the wealth management department or the opposite, send you to an 800 number. Like we couldn't predict if that would happen or when it would happen, but we felt that if we did our job and we followed the plan, the vast majority of our best clients were eventually going to get handed over to the wealth management department. And that was our real our real fear that we faced and we didn't want to play within a certain box of having to be told like, these are the people that you can work with. These are the people that you have to refer up or refer down. And I think clients were pretty, you know, receptive to that. We made it too complicated, but in a nutshell, that's what we said. I hear that a lot as feedback, you know, financial advisors just think and rehearse about, you know, this big elaborate reason why they're making a move to another firm and, I just helped another financial advisor a couple of weeks ago. He's been serving his clients for 20 years and just through his, his elaborate explanation of moving from a wirehouse to independence, most of his clients just stopped him and just said, you know, you're, you're, you're family. You've been with us for, for 20 years. I, I, I know that what you're doing is, is in our best interest and, and we're going to go where you go, which I just yeah. thought was so cool to hear. It's it's kind of like if um, like if you're a LeBron James fan, you know you don't care that he was a Cav or he's on the Heat or he's on the Lakers, right? You, you're just like a LeBron James fan, like whatever team he's on, that's your guy. And I and maybe that's a really bad analogy with LeBron James. And I saw a lot of jersey burning when that happened. <laughs> there was some jersey burning for sure, but uh, you know most I would say most of the people if you do a great job. People are in it for the name on the back of the jersey and not the name on the front of the jersey. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of horror stories out there with, you know, bad financial planners and, you know, the things that have happened um, over the last 20 years or so. If someone has a great financial planner that they love and they've been working with with years for years, you know, they will follow that person more often than not. What were your clients' reaction when you made a move from a big brand to, you know, a firm that just doesn't spend a lot of money on a brand that just kind of lets your brand shine through. What, what were the reactions? Yeah. So I think most people were really excited. There was a segment, it's kind of like three buckets. There's probably 60% were super excited. That's great. What do we need to do? This is incredible. We're so happy for you. Um, the second group is like, who's that? I've never heard of them. And like, that was like a little bit of education and like, oh, you know, you know, they're the, they're the custodian or they're the broker dealer. This is what their role is in the process. But at the end of the day, you're still working with Nick and Jeff. And there was the, uh, the third group who was like, yeah, uh, that's cool. I hate that you're leaving. We're going to stay at the bank because we're always going to stay at the bank. And that, 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 was, that was really the three, um, those were the three reactions. Group A, easy easy transition, you know, um, that was great. B was an educational opportunity to get them comfortable. Most of those people eventually came. Some of them did not. So I remember when you were thinking through your, your, your due diligence process, you, you were telling me about 
your spreadsheet, right? When you were trying to figure out, you know, who was going to come with you and who wasn't going to come with you. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Because I've recommended that to almost every financial advisor that I've worked with since. Yeah, I think I think this was the best thing that we did. So essentially, we broke every family into three categories, um, A, B, and C. And A was this person is 100% coming with us. There's no way that they're not going to come with us. We have an amazing relationship with them. There is that rapport there. Like these people are family. And then we assigned an 80% probability that it would happen because we knew that some of those people weren't going to come with us. Yeah. Uh, we didn't know who, but we knew that there would be some. And so we just, we took an 80% probability. We put their you know assets under management in one column. And then the next column, we would put, you know, their average annualized revenue. Um, group B was, you know, we have a pretty good relationship with these people. It's certainly not at the level of A, but we meet with them regularly. They take our advice. Um, we, we assigned a 40% probability to group B. And then C is, you know, these people don't meet with us regularly. Their communication is pretty poor. When we give them advice, it's kind of, it's kind of 50 50 on whether they actually apply it or not. We were going to apply a 10% probability um, to, to group C. And like we decided who was going to be an A, B, or C. Those were going to be the people that we extended an invitation to. And obviously, there was people that we didn't extend an invitation to, um, you know, when we left. And I will tell you that number was spot on. Wow. And for other advisors that I've encouraged to go through that process, their number has been very close to when they've ultimately made that transition. So Nick, when I'm working with advisors, I, I, I always just try to learn from other financial advisors' mistakes and try to help them work through not making the same ones in, in, in their transition. You know, looking back over the last five years, what do you think you would have done differently? Yeah. So the first thing that we would have done differently is we would not have gone um, to our RIAs like turnkey DBA. Um, that was a mistake that added a layer of complexity to the process um, that was confusing for our clients. And then being on a website with other advisors and our, our clients just didn't get it. And it was confusing. It was very hard to explain like, yes, we're independent business owners. We have our own little fiefdom, but, and you know, there's 50 other guys that have done the same thing and they have their own little fiefdom and it has the exact same name and we're related yet. We have no idea what each other's doing. So that was, that was confusing. I wouldn't have done that. Um, the second thing was I did a, uh, so we would have taken a little bit of time on the front end, figured out the brand, which we ultimately came to as Know My Plan, which happened, you know, shortly, shortly thereafter, which was a huge, um, huge benefit for us because the ultimate thing was we wanted our clients to be able to say, I know my plan. So we thought the name made sense. Doesn't make a lot of sense from SEO purposes, but we, we like the end result. We, we spent a lot of money on a website that we probably didn't need to do. We, we set some money on fire there. When um, when we first started, we hired a company to help us with um, with lead gen and like social media posts. And we're like, oh, you know, 
here's a guy in Atlanta who's grown this multi-million dollar independent practice doing this. This seems like a, a good thing and that'll get some leads in. We want to, we want to do this. Well, we're still waiting for that first lead. It hasn't happened. And then, um, you know, the other thing that we did is we signed up with Ramsey's Smart Vester Pro. Like, you know, hey, these are good people that are wanting advice and guidance, went in completely blind, didn't have the infrastructure set up. And we, we only did that for a few months before we were able to turn it off. But, you know, once again, we never even had a conversation with with anyone from that from that program. So we definitely set some money on fire. And I think, you know, just allocate yourself, you know, $20,000, $25,000 that you're going to set on fire. I mean, that's that's part of the learning curve is you have to learn and you got to make some mistakes to figure out what works. The The thing that worked incredibly well for us that came from that is, and part of this was, was COVID and the pandemic, but was the transition of people's willingness to meet virtually and to do Zoom appointments. Because now people were seeing our content from all over the United States. People were comfortably working virtually. And now we started getting clients from, you know, from Boston and Oklahoma and Oregon and Florida and that Texas. So that was, that was really a huge change, which has really helped our business to flourish. But those were the key things. Those were the key mistakes that we made, which ultimately helped us figure out what does work. Nick, for financial advisors that are considering potentially moving to another firm, what questions would you recommend that they ask themselves to determine if a good move is a, is a good fit or not? This this is going to come off as a little bit of, um, I don't know, this may not come off right, but I'm just going to say it. The one thing that I wish we would have done differently and saved ourselves literally hundreds of hours, hundreds, is I wish I would have met with someone exactly like you in your current role today that was completely independent and unattached to the outcome that didn't have a vested interest of if I ended up at a wirehouse or a bank program or an independent channel, I wish I just could have gone in, had a conversation with you and said, Corey, this is exactly what we're looking for or what we think we're looking for. Here's our trailing 12 numbers. These, this is what our client base looks like. This is how we manage money. Like, I'll sign a limited power of attorney, go find us the two or three best possible fits. And then let's come back and let's have individual meetings with them. Let's go through the pros and cons of each. And then let's collaboratively come to a decision. The, the stress and anxiety that was caused by meeting with 15 different firms and looking at 15 different offers over 45 to 60 different lunches, um, was completely unnecessary. So the number one thing that I would tell anybody at a bank or a wirehouse today or anybody in an independent spot that's truly not independent, find yourself a quarry who can save hours of time, stress. You know, the average life expectancy of a financial advisor is not that long. It's just the reality of it. It's not good. And I think a lot of it is we put a lot of stress on ourselves instead of outsourcing to experts who could really help us. And you know, today you are in a position at Bridgemark where you can truly help add years 
on to a financial advisor's life by removing an incredible amount of stress. Because if an offer comes back and you know it's a bad offer, you can work directly with who that offer came from and be like, hey, I know this is a bad offer. I know you can do better than this because I've had three other offers that look like this. The advisor doesn't have to hear all that. Yeah. The advisor doesn't know if it's a good offer or a bad offer, but you do. So, I mean, that's the number one thing that advisors need to do is they need to find experts and surround themselves with experts. And there is no advisor that's going to be more of an expert on M&A or current advisor transitions than someone like yourself. So stop pretending that you are an expert and, and find, find Corey or find your Corey. I would have told you that you would have brought a lot more than uh, 30% of your practice. That's for sure. I would have debunked <laughs> that myth immediately. So, yeah, we were, I mean, we were scared to death. Yeah. You know, we were, we were absolutely scared to death that our income was going to drop, whatever, 50%, because we were only going to take, you know, 29, 30% of our, our book list. We never would have, you know, we were hopeful because we went through that spreadsheet process. We were hopeful that we would bring 70 and we did. But once again, that was not a tried and true method. That was just me sitting down with a spreadsheet and arbitrarily uh, plugging in numbers and hoping that it worked. And, you know, maybe I, I dreamed it into fruition, but it but it happened. Um, I would say, too, is our transition was really rough because this was right during the transition of um, people doing business in paper versus people doing e-signature. And so we did everything as a paper transition, which you would never have to deal with today. So it's never been easier to make a transition than it is today. And if, if you're a $500,000 producer, an $800,000 producer, um, do it today. Don't wait, make the transition. It's never, it's never going to be easier than it is today because you're going to get more clients, more complex situations. Just, just do it now. Don't wait. If you're at a, if you're at a place where you know you're ultimately going to have to make a move, proactively make the move. Every year that you wait, it becomes exponentially harder and you're adding stress and probably reducing your life expectancy. Do it quick. Rip the Band-Aid. I just spoke with an advisor today that is probably 28 years old at an employee channel. And he just realized exactly what you just said. He said, listen, I know I'm only, you know, seven years into the industry, but I know I'm going to be looking back in 20 years when I have a $2 million practice and it's going to be that much more stressful and I'm just going to regret it. And I just thought that was such a mature thing to say. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad he came up to that conclusion, but Nick, I appreciate it. You, you and Jeff have done such awesome things in the last five years. And, uh, I can't wait to have a 10th year anniversary call to to, to see what's next. But uh, I appreciate it so much. And thanks for the time. Anytime. Thanks, Corey. I really, really hope you find this podcast of value. If you do, please make sure to subscribe and share it with your friends.